Hallelujah. That's okay. The children are just going out. God bless the children in their learning and their walk with Jesus. Father, we thank you for your precious word this morning. We come hungry to feed upon your word. We thank you that you're a good God and you always do good and mighty things. And we pray, Lord, that you'll touch our hearts and lives and bring change to us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to share with you this morning about the power of God to deliver. God is a mighty and an awesome God and able to deliver from all and every situation that we might find ourselves in. Now, the most dramatic question that was ever asked in the entire Bible is found in Daniel 6 and verse 20. And it was asked by a very weak, ungodly, easily manipulated king, a king by the name of King Darius. He was manipulated and put into the position where he had to sign the edict for Daniel to be thrown to the lion's den. He didn't want to do it. He knew it was the wrong thing to do. But in his weakness, he's under pressure, he signs that order, and Daniel is sent to the lion's den. Now, the Bible clearly says that that night he had a very restless night's sleep. And early the next morning, he gets up, and nervously he makes his way towards the lion's den. When he gets there, anxiously he asks this question, Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you? Well, hallelujah. Glory to God. What a position to be in. To be able to stand from personal experience, confidence in your heart, and to be able to say, my God is able to deliver. You see, often the question in the minds of people today is the question, is your God a God of theory or a God of reality? Is your God a God that can be found in the crises of life or just in the Sunday sermon? And it's you and I, from personal testimony, with full conviction because of all that God has been doing in our lives, we can stand up and declare not just that deliverance belongs to the Lord, but that my God is able to deliver you. It's a message of good news, bringing hope where there is despair, freedom where there is bondage, joy where there is sorrow, peace where there is turmoil. It's a message that you and I can take to the people around. My God is able to deliver you. Well, let's have a look at Psalm 34. This is a personal testimony. David is not speaking out of head knowledge or theory. David has proven the deliverance of God from his youth. David was delivered from the mouth of a, a bear when he was protecting his sheep. He knew God could deliver him. He took on a man-eating lion, tore it apart with his own hands because he knew God could deliver him. He stood against the might and the terror of Goliath the giant with such boldness because he knew God could deliver him. And so these words, and I want you to feel the, the power of these words, they're coming from a personal experience of the deliverance of God. He begins by saying in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Look to him and be radiant so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried 
And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O sons, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and covets many days that he might enjoy good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Hallelujah. Now, as we look at this passage, and it's be, we're going to be focusing on Psalm 34, there are three simple, life-changing things that I want to show you. Number one, the reality of affliction. Number two, the release that God promises. And number three, the response of the righteous. Let's begin, though, with the reality of affliction. You cannot get any more real than verse 19. How's this for reality? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now that verse wouldn't be quite so bad if it said one or two. But it says many. And we wouldn't mind it half so much if it was talking about the ungodly, the stubborn, hard-hearted sinner. But it's talking about the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now isn't it true that you and I can be walking with God, working hard, doing everything that we know how best to do, living faithfully for God, and yet find ourselves battling with all sorts of difficulties and with problems. may not be quite so dramatic as being thrown to a lion's den like Daniel or standing against a giant like David with Goliath, but when we're going through the problem, it's just as real, isn't it? We're going through the heartache. We're overwhelmed by the situation It's just as real to us then. And I believe the first thing that God wants you and I to realize is this. God expects us to live in reality. Listen, problems are part of life. (laughs) We're not any less a Christian if we find ourselves battling with all sorts of difficulties. It is not unspiritual to have problems. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Well, the, the greatest realist who ever lived was Jesus. And when he was talking to his disciples, Jesus said in John 16 and verse 33, in the world you shall have tribulation. It's a promise. Now, we get encouraged by the promises of God, and we we, we like to say all the promises of God are yes to us in, in Christ Jesus. When was the last time you got excited about that promise? In the world you shall have tribulation. Peter takes up the same theme in 1 Peter 4 and in verse 12 in a very plain, matter-of-fact sort of way. Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. 
Peter was saying, look, this is the normal Christian life. It's par for the course. We're all in the same boat. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. In fact, I would dare to say this morning, if there's nothing wrong in your life, there's something seriously wrong. (laughs) Because many are the afflictions of the righteous. Well, let's look at this word many in verse 19 in terms of there being diverse, different types of affliction. And I guarantee we can all identify with them this morning. Number one then, there is the spiritual attack that comes upon our life where there is a clear demonic origin. There's a satanic attack being made upon us. When things are going wrong, there's no explanation for what's happening and it's a pressure, one thing on on top of the other. There are occasions when literally the enemy and his demonic power are attacking us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, as we've been reminded, we battle not against flesh and blood, but we do battle against principalities and powers and a host of spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Jesus went to Peter and Jesus said, Peter, listen, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat. Peter took that message to the church and and Peter said, church, Watch out, the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. And so there are times in our life where there is a satanic, demonic attack being made. And the clearest example of this is beyond doubt found in the book of Job. You couldn't get any more righteous than Job. God's description of Job was a blameless and an upright man, one who fears me and turns away from evil. There's none like him, God said, in all the East. And Satan said to God, does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and all that he has? You take away that hedge of protection and Job will curse you to your face. The gauntlet has been thrown down. God picks up that gauntlet He said, do your worst to Job, only upon his life you will not take it. And that hedge of protection was removed. And this demonic, this satanic attack was made upon Job. He lost his land, he lost his cattle, he lost his wealth, he lost his health. He lost the respect of the community around him. He lost the respect of his own wife. And on top of it all, the final crushing blow was all of his children were killed. Not some simple accident. It was a demonically inspired attack. Every one of his children were wiped out and killed. And this wasn't over the space of 5, 10, 15 years. One thing after the other. And there are times in our life when we can be going through such a battle and there's a spiritual dimension. Another sort of affliction is the discouragement and hurt that we experience at the hands of other people. You can't blame the devil for everything, can you? Some people are so unkind, thoughtless, selfish. Some people are just a word and it has a stinging effect upon us and brings such discouragement. When you're discouraged, you lose all that zeal and all that sense of motivation, all that desire to go on for God. And Do you know when you're trying to do your best and you feel as though you're not appreciated, you're taken for granted, a sense you've been rejected and it can be a major affliction to your heart. 
Now, someone that could identify with that was a very godly man called Moses. While everything was going well for the children of Israel, they sang the praises of Moses. There was not another leader quite like Moses. But the moment something went wrong, the Bible says they all began to grumble and murmur and complain against Moses. They even came to the place of saying, we don't want Moses anymore. He's not up to the job. Let's choose for ourselves another leader. Imagine how that rejection must have been for Moses. I mean, people that would smile to his face and stabbing him in the back, criticize him, being those that were gossiping against his leadership, those that, that, that were negative. What an affliction that must have been for him. Moses didn't want the job in the first place. There wasn't a long queue of people willing to lead two million out of the bondage of Egypt and through the wilderness. He was doing the best that he could. It wasn't appreciated, taken for granted. That must have been a major, major affliction. Another sort of affliction is the inner hidden struggles that go on inside our emotions. You and I are very complex it's not just the ladies that are complex and difficult to understand. No, no, we're, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. Everything in our psyche, our emotions, that, that which is interlocked and interwoven with, with one another. And, 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 you know, we can find ourselves struggling with self-doubt, insecurities, lack of confidence, a feeling of inadequacy and inferiority. We may be able to smile outwardly to people and all these fears are going on inside, all this tension is going on within us. Someone that could identify with that was a godly man, loved the Lord, a man called Timothy. Timothy was a young leader in the New Testament church, but he felt people were looking down on him and undermining him. And there was all sorts of insecurities of self-doubt and inadequacy and anxiousness that was going on in Timothy's life. And it took the great apostle Paul to come to Timothy and say, listen, don't you let anyone despise your youth. He felt people were doing that. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, listen, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. There was this spirit of fear that was going on underneath the surface and it was a major handicap. It always will be in our lives. A major restriction paralyzing our walk with God, holding us back and causing us to, to doubt so often. And you know, frequently when this is going on, the, 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 the stress of all this going on underneath the surface inside, it'll manifest itself in physical sickness. You ask any doctor. According to the British Medical Journal, there is not an organ or a tissue in the human body that is not influenced by the attitude of mind and spirit. When you've got these things going on inside, physical symptoms can come, and particularly manifested in the stomach. And Paul said to, to Timothy, Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent illnesses. There was something going on in Timothy that was hard to understand, but Paul could see. One other sort of affliction is the conflict that goes on, or you'll identify with this one, the conflict that goes on in family relationships. Do you know the whole network 
of our family relationships, the in-laws, the outlaws, and all the different variants within family relationships. Sometimes it's like walking on eggshells, isn't it? You've got to be so careful what you say and how you say it. An innocent word can be taken out of its context, blown out of proportion, and, the, and reverberate the consequences of that for, for years afterwards. It's like a minefield. The resentment, the personality clashes, the, 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 the afflictions that come into our life because of things going on in family relationships. Someone that could identify with that was Joseph. Joseph was a godly man. He loved the Lord. He had got a great call upon his life. God was going to raise him up to be second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. But the moment that word came, everything went wrong. His brothers bitterly resented him. They became jealous of him. Their own flesh and blood, they decided they were going to murder him. But then they thought, well, let's get some money out of this. We'll not murder him. We'll sell him into slavery. He was brought as a slave to serve in Potiphar's house. While in Potiphar's house, he was falsely accused of rape. As a result of that, he languished in a prison cell for several years. And all this heartache, all these events began from his own flesh and blood, his own family. And so there's many different afflictions that we can identify with. But listen, the real issue is not the affliction, whatever it might be. The real issue is how we handle it. And we can respond to the troubles of life sinfully by starting to get bitter ourselves and holding grudges and feeling like giving up and starting to doubt. And, or we can choose to put our trust in the Word of God. Amen. And we can choose to believe that the Word of God will set us free. Jesus said, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. We've got to know it not just intellectually or theoretically and not even just the theologically. We, we, we've got to know it in our hearts. The truth of God's word. We hold on to it. We confess it. We think about it day and night. The word of God. We begin to, to act according to it. But here is where the enemy is so clever. The devil is so subtle. He knows the power of the truth to set people free. And so what he does is deal in half-truths. Because he, he, he knows if he can get you believe, to believe a half-truth, he will hold you in bondage. He, he will restrict your life. And so many Christians believe the half-truth of verse 19. Psalm 34, look at the first half of the verse. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Well, it's true. But it's only half the truth. We can be in that place where we start to agree with the facts, settle for the situation as it is. And we can find ourselves bound by believing our symptoms, by believing our circumstances, by, 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 by believing people's uh, uh, opinion upon it. And so having looked at the reality of affliction, let's consider now the release that God promises, the full truth that is able to set us free. And I, I want to throw out a challenge to you this morning. And I challenge you to believe the Word of God. Do you know there are a lot of unbelieving believers in the church today? 
I guarantee you 100% that if you will believe what I'm going to say now, your life will never be the same again. And so verse 19 gives us the release that God promises. Look at the whole verse, not just half of it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Hallelujah. Now, in that verse, there are two extraordinary words. They've only got three letters. It's wonderful, isn't it, that God doesn't need a whole library to speak to us. He just needs to to bring that word that, that we need this morning, that word. And if we will latch onto it, hold it, and, and begin to live by it, it'll change our life completely. Two words. The first is this. It's the little word, but. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord. Oh my goodness, the difference that that makes when we, we believe it. You see, often you and I, in fact, almost always, when we use the word but, it's in a negative sense. It expresses unbelief. But when God uses the word but, it's to lift us up, to strengthen us, to set us free. When God uses the word but, it's to change the situation completely. You, you, you see, the word but in the verse throughout Scripture it is like the comma in the sentence of our problems. Where the devil wants to have the final word and put a full stop at the end of your sickness, a full stop at the end of your financial struggle, a full stop at the end of your emotional difficulty, the depression, the anxiety and worry and fear, a full stop at the end of some family crisis. Where he wants to have the final word and put a full stop, God steps forward and says, but... The word but is like the bridge from the half-truth across to the full truth. Now, you can choose to stay in the half-truth, believe your circumstances, your symptoms, believe your, your, your opinions, believe the reports you hear on the news that are 98% negative all the time. You can believe those things because they're facts, or you can travel across this morning and say, I'm going to believe the full truth. I'm going to trust God's word in the situation. Now, let me show you the difference that this makes. The psalmist said, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Jesus said, the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. The apostle Paul said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Is it wonder, any wonder he lived as more than a conqueror? Is it wonder, any wonder that he always lived in that place of victory because he didn't look around at the, the prison cell, the beating that he'd had in his own body. He didn't look around at the stocks and chains that he was in. He was looking to God. And it makes all the difference. Now, did you notice earlier on I, I, I expressed to you from the Scriptures Two half-truths. Now see the difference it makes when you believe the whole truth. The first was when Jesus said to his disciples, in the world you shall have tribulation. Well, that would be pretty depressing if that's all that we had. If we're just believing half a truth, Jesus went on to say, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. 
When Jesus went to Peter, he said, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat. If we only had the half-truth, we'd be full of fear. And yet Jesus went on to say, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And I, I want you to be a, a, a people that when you leave this building this morning, you'll go around saying, but God, but God. Do you know, my wife is quite seriously ill at the moment. With, she's just been diagnosed with, with, with ME. And yet I can say, but God. My daughter has tried to commit suicide eight times and uh, has just two weeks ago uh, had to go for a psychological a psychi psychiatric uh, assessment. She's in the system and, and going through it. And yet I can say, but God. And whatever you face, whatever you go through, whatever is coming upon you, rise up in your spirit and say, but God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, if you think that word's amazing, let me tell you, it gets better. The second word in verse 19 of Psalm 34 is even more incredible. And again, I challenge you to believe it. It's the little word, all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Well, to me, all means all, doesn't it? It, it do, doesn't mean everything except the problem that you've got and every situation except the one that, that you're in. You know, when the Bible, you, Jesus, when he wanted to emphasize something, he would say, truly, truly, I say unto you. But isn't it wonderful? In Psalm 34, four times the word all is used in relation to our problems and the breakthrough that God alone can bring. And this is where you need to underline it in your Bible because I've looked at all the different translations and every one of them has got the word all. I'm not talking about paraphrases, but translations of the Bible, they have the word all. But let me show you where they are. First of all, then, in verse 4, the psalmist said, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me out of all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. And verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Do you know, I am so glad tonight, uh, this morning, so glad that I'm, I'm not giving you my opinion. And I'm not even bringing my interpretation. I'm simply reading to you the Word of God. It's there black and white in any translation. You, you'll find it. And God is doing something so wonderfully here. He knows that we're slow to believe. He understands that this promise is a biggie. And so here he is four times. He's stating all and every affliction. God promises not only to sustain us, but to bring us through. May not happen as quickly as we want it to happen. May not happen in the way that we want it to happen. But God promises to deliver from all and every affliction. Therefore, your problem this morning, whatever it is, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, 
can be included in the all of Mark 9, verse 23. Jesus said, all things are possible to them that believe. There's no situation too great, no problem too difficult, no circumstance too hard. He's a miracle-working God, amen? And the challenge is whether or not we will believe it. Now, when you believe the Word of God, there's a, just such a blessing, and it's this. The light of hope comes into the darkness of our despair. And that's what we find in Psalm 34, verse 5. Look to Him and be radiant, and your faces shall never be ashamed. You can always tell those that are looking to the Lord in their heartaches and problems that there's a certain glow, something of the glory of God. There's a peace. There's a sense of well-being. It doesn't minimize the, the problem. The problem's real. But those that are looking to the Lord, the light of hope has come in. In the same way that when Stephen was being stoned to death, he was in a situation of such injustice there. That they looked at Stephen and saw that his face shone like the face of an angel. And the reason why, he was looking to the Lord. He lifted up his eyes in that situation. And the Bible says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When you bring God into the situation, you bring Jesus as Lord into your circumstances, the light of hope begins to come in. And so what we find here is that we need that strength to believe that can only come from past experience. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and it's grace that will lead me home. We've seen the faithfulness of God. We've experienced the goodness of God. We're here this morning by the grace of God, he's brought us here to this place. And it's when we trust in him from our experience. Not only does it benefit us, we then also have a message to share with other people. My God is able to deliver you. And I want to show you what I mean here because Peter, there was an awful lot of shame attached to his failure when, when he denied the Lord with oaths and curses. How could he have done that to his best friend, his Savior, and his Lord? Just turned his back on Jesus and vehemently denied being a follower of Christ. The darkness of shame. But now I'm going to read you a verse. A little bit older now. He's come through that experience. He's found the goodness of God's hand upon his life. And now he's got a message that is relevant to share with other people. And this is what he says. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 10, when you have suffered a little while, the Lord himself will restore, strengthen, and establish you. He's proved it. God's restored him, strengthened him, established him. Now he's got a message that's going to bring hope to other people that are struggling and in a place of darkness themselves. So what I'm saying is nothing is wasted in, in our lives. God's the greatest economist in the entire universe. The pain and the anguish and the, the, the trouble that we'd rather gone without, you know, it strengthens our character. It shapes our life. It gives us experience to help others. It draws us closer to God. It refines our faith. 
Do you notice it says when you've suffered? It doesn't say if. <laughs> the Bible just assumes that you're going to suffer. And, uh, and look, it says when you've suffered a little while. Well, the Bible's little whiles are very interesting, aren't they? Certainly seem to go on a lot longer than we'd expect them to go on. But at least when it says a little while, it says it's a fixed period of time. There's going to come an end to that suffering, that sadness, that anguish, that, that, that burden. When you've suffered a little while, the Lord himself will restore, restore strength and establish you. Right, let me come on to the most important aspect then of what I'm saying. And I've only got a short time to get it in. You could tick off point one. You can tick off point two, but let me tell you, unless you've got this third point alive and real in your heart, it will never work. And that's why God's Word often doesn't work in the lives of Christians. This final point is crucial, and it's the response of the righteous. You and I need to have a right attitude of heart towards God in our troubles. I've known people that have made themselves ill and bitter and twisted and, and cold of heart and backslidden because they've had a wrong attitude towards God in their problems. And I believe the right attitude that we're going to see in the Scriptures is that you and I remain right regardless. So many Christians will remain right praising the Lord and remain right saying their the, the, the prayers and doing all the good things as long as the problem doesn't go on too long. And as long as their prayers are immediately answered. But what God is looking for from his church, I believe today, particularly as we're moving towards the end times, when there's going to be so much more trouble, so much more persecution, so many more afflictions coming to our life. In fact, the Bible says in the last days, the love of many will grow cold because they won't be able to stay the course. They, they, they won't be able to maintain the commitment because of the troubles and the difficulties. And, and, and so what we're looking at here is remaining right regardless. I want to show you the clearest example in the entire Bible of what that means. It's found in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. Here we've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> Talk about a problem. They're going to be thrown to the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar said, unless you bow down and worship my image, you're going to... they know he's going to do it. He's not playing around. And the king has the arrogance to say to these three godly men, is your God able to deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> now listen to what they respond. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down and worship your image. What a wonderful attitude. That's what God is looking for. To be to say, God, we know you answer prayer. God, we know your word is powerful. God, we know you're victorious in every situation. But even if you didn't do another thing, we're still going to love you. Still going to follow you. Still committed. Still faithful. Still worship you. That's what God is looking for in his church today. So let me show you how this Right relationship with God is inseparably linked to the breakthrough, the miracle, the promise that God has given us already. First of all then, well, would you believe three times? Three times it's mentioned in Psalm 34. First of all, in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears 
towards their cry. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, let me be practical. I I, want to show you what it means to remain right regardless. I want to show you what God is looking for from his word in your attitude in difficult times especially. And the first thing is this, that we decide to praise the Lord. Rather than grumble and complain and and get negative and and focus on our problems, there is a, a heart that praises God. Look at Psalm 34. Verse 1 to 3, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and be glad. Come on, oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. God's looking for people that will break this power in praise. The walls of Jericho fell to the power of praise. Jonah was spewed up from the belly of the whale. Talk about being down in the mouth. That note of praise, that note of thanksgiving, released immediately. King Jehoshaphat. Three massive armies coming against his little army. We do not know what to do, O Lord, but our eyes are upon you. And then the strategy comes. God says, put the singers and the dancers in front of the mighty warriors and go forward in battle, singing and dancing and praising my name. And a tremendous victory came. Decide to praise the Lord. Secondly, God's looking for you and I to determine to seek after him. You you see, when we've got a problem and we're, we're under pressure, what we tend to do is to turn in on ourselves and try to be the answer to our own problem. We focus on the problem and our ability to get out of it rather than looking to God. We need to be those that are desperate for God. God said, they shall seek me and they shall find me when they seek for me with all of their heart. Listen, you won't just casually drift into a deeper relationship with God. You'll drift out of one, but you'll never be able to drift into one. It takes an act of the will, a discipline of the mind, a resolve of the heart to seek after God. And so we find this in Psalm 34. First of all, in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from all of my fears. Verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And the last one is this then. The response that God is looking for, that remaining right in our attitude towards him. Not just that we decide to praise the Lord. Not only that we determine to seek after God. But thirdly, that we develop the fear of the Lord in our lives. There is nothing more powerful that you could have than the fear of God, to tremble before God's Word. That respect for His holiness, that reverence for His righteous standards. Do you know there's so much compromise in the church today? At the inception of the the church at its birth, very soon afterwards, great fear came upon the whole church. Why? Because God judged Ananias and Sapphira. They'd claimed to have given everything to the Lord, but kept back something secretly in their heart. And God judged, they both dropped down dead. Listen, this is in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. God hasn't changed. 
This was while all the miracles and the power and all the charisma was going on. And God wanted to establish a principle right from the beginning. You can imagine, can't you, that people going along to the meeting would make sure that they were right with God. That they wouldn't have any wrong attitudes towards anyone. That there wouldn't be any compromise in their life. Great fear came upon the whole church. God wants us to walk in the fear of the Lord. So look in Psalm 34, and and this is my point. The fear of God is inseparably linked to the breakthrough that God wants to bring into our lives. First of all, then, in verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no want. And then Verse 11, come, O sons, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Our hearts don't naturally fear God. Left to our own devices, we'd be watching all sorts of things and going down all sorts of roads of compromise. No, we need to be taught. We need to grow and develop the fear of the Lord in our hearts. By the fear of God, men depart from evil. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of all evil. The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And so in conclusion then, we're all in the same boat this morning. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but we can come into agreement with God's Word and say, God, I'm not going to live in the half-truth any longer. I'm not just going to be preoccupied with, 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 with half of what is going on in my life. I'm going to settle in the full truth. I'm going to believe your word. And if for you that light of the glory of God has dimmed, maybe gone out, look to him and be radiant. And your faces shall never be ashamed. God is a good God. He loves you. He understands what you're going through and how it feels. And he wants what is best for you. And it only comes by surrendering ourselves wholly and completely to the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much this morning for your goodness, your goodness. I would have lost heart if I hadn't believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Father, would you just not only show us, but help us to lay hold of your goodness. The things we've heard and seen in your word Lord, are life-changing. I pray that you'll help people to be able to apply these principles. Would you strengthen them with the burdens that they've got, the things that they're trying to understand and make sense of. Lord, I pray that you'll just come and help people this morning to lay hold of you with a determination, with a delight, with, with, with that sense of wanting, Lord, to please you. And so, Father, we just give you our thanks. The God that searches every heart, you know every thought. And we come to you this morning. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to ask that we sing that wonderful song that we began with, the very first song, Blessed be, when the world's not all that it should be. And we don't understand what's going on. Still we'll bless the Lord. Still we'll praise his name. Please do come up, music group, and we'll...
sing. And can I just mention that if any do want prayer afterwards, come and ask for prayer. Be delighted to pray for you. So don't go away troubled in any way. We want you to be strengthened and, and better for having come. And so if you need prayer, do come in Jesus' name. Sorry? Oh, right. <laughs>